Speaking of the year 2000, Ben <laughs> Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are back together. Important note, this is accurate at the time of recording. They may have broken up by the time we actually release this. Hello and welcome to episode 16 of All The Way Through, the podcast journey through the Louis Theroux back catalogue to work out whether we love him as much as we thought we did. I am Matthew Dunn-Miles and I am joined always and forever by Alex Watson. Hello Alex. If destroyed, still true. Here I am. Hello. Hi <laughs> DSD, indeed. I know someone who used to put an less destroyed by me as their kind of get out of that contract at the end that's smart though because there must be so many formerly primary school age children who are still betrothed to each other trapped in loveless relationships based on idsts yeah how relevant Alex, firstly, may I say, that is a dapper cravat you are wearing right now. I was wondering if it was going to be that or my pink short-sleeved shirt that you were going to pick up on. Definitely the cravat. Do you enjoy my cream peak cap that I'm wearing, my flat cap? That's a nice flat cap. I think it's divine. Where are we, Alex? Well, you might think that we're in England because of the flat cap thing, or perhaps some parts of Scotland. But in fact, we're actually in Bangkok in Thailand, where white men's fashion is very confusing it could be from any era and any decade since the 1850s but why are all these weirdly dressed white men there well they're there looking for love it's very wholesome but actually when you start to dig deeper might not be completely wholesome yeah the sheen quickly fades on this dream of romance out in bangkok doesn't it again the episode has several names but it is sometimes known as looking for love and sometimes known as tie brides because the essence of it is that louis is looking into why western men like to travel to thailand and marry thai women indeed yeah and apparently according to the opening of this this is hundreds of thousands of men in the year 2000 and seems to be an industry that is still booming today Something that struck me about the very opening of this episode was Louis reading aloud to a man dressed the same as we both are in a flat cap with a pink shirt on and a sweater vest. And Louis is reading from some Thai phrases, but he's only reading the English translations. And they include, Did you come? I like you being on top. (laughs) And then asks, Why have you highlighted, I like the rear entry position? And I just thought, whatever happened to the porn episode when Louis said that things were a little bit too rude for the BBC? This is the year 2000. Everything has changed. He has lost his innocence. No longer are we in the puritanical 90s. This is the years of hedonism and sex on the BBC. That is the millennium. We start with Louis going through the streets of Bangkok, which he describes as the love capital of the world at one point. Interestingly, other places claiming to be love capital of the world include Paris, fair, and Niagara Falls, which is the honeymoon capital of the world. Because nothing says love like lots of water. As Pete Campbell says in Mad Men, the wettest place on earth. I've just watched that episode. (laughs) How weird. I have never heard of Bangkok being described as the love capital of the world. I did think that Paris might hold that title. But like you say, apparently hundreds of thousands of Western men do go there in order to try and find love. And we see lots of shots of Western men with Asian women in Bangkok as Louis walks through the city. I say white Western men... They're actually quite pink and crispy, most of them. <laughs> Been spending a lot of time in the sun. <laughs> Would you describe them as gammony? A little bit gammony. I'm going to say a lot of this episode. He's in shades of gammon. But also between those shots of poor and suspecting Thai women with Western men, there is many women just walking around their daily lives, crossing the road and stuff, who have now been thrown into this documentary as examples of the women on offer to people who come to Thailand. So Louis is speeding through the streets in the back of a cab and he is reading a pamphlet titled Thai Introductions. He always likes to have some reading material at the start of an episode. Does he not get car sick? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> he goes into a building which is called Times Square to meet Anglo-Thai Introductions, which he describes as one of the biggest marriage agencies. Speaking of white men dressing strangely in Bangkok, Louis is wearing like a cream knitted sweater, which I've written is quite West Lifey. Looks quite warm. I feel like in Bangkok, it's probably not sweltering all the time, but it's too warm for a jumper. He does transition to his short sleeve shirt. So maybe he starts in, I've just got off the plane from London and it was freezing. And then quickly realises, oh no, this is too hot for me. Or he's probably spilled some tomato soup on it or something, because who wears a cream jumper? Crazy decision. 
So Louis going to meet a man called Ronnie Conrad, who is our flat cap wearing, cravat wearing. It's a very confusing outfit. You kind of need to see it to believe it, to be honest. Ronnie's got his flat cap on, a pink short sleeve shirt with a collar, a sweater vest, which is navy blue and sleeveless, then a cravat. And he's got an English accent. Maybe you'd be better at placing it. As the honorary Englishman of the show, I think he's a Londoner. He sounds and dresses like Dow Boy from Only Fools and Horses. Who would you have said would play Ronnie? Now I can only think of David Jason. David Jason could do a really good job of it. I also, (laughs) there's an actor, I had to look up what his name was, called Alan Armstrong, who's in the TV show New Tricks, which (laughs) this is so British. I'm really sorry if you've not seen terrible British TV, but my mum used to watch that show all the time. It's like a detective show. I know who he is. He's originally from Newcastle, that actor. But he definitely could play that role. I reckon he could be a really good Ronnie. Shout out to Alan Armstrong if he's listening. A great actor. (laughs) A fine man. They're in this pretty average looking office, but it's busy with lots of young Thai women. And Louis asks, why are there lots of young women just sitting about here? And Ronnie says, They've come in because it's their day off and they've come to enrol and some of them come to meet. Um, It is like a clubhouse here. It's kind of like he's trying to build this as some sort of playboy mansion. But Louis is almost perplexed and outraged by the gaggle of young women that seem to be hanging around. They have come to enrol in Ronnie's program, which looks to set them up with Western men who can provide, well, what can they provide? This is the question. So we initially see a woman being signed up with Ronnie's program. She has the forms all out on the table and she's speaking to a woman called Kukai who works for Ronnie. Her name is Anne. Anne is 19, very timid, I would say, very young looking. Yeah, maybe even looks younger than 19. Ronnie says, under 20, they're harder to place because most people want a wife, not a daughter. Or a granddaughter, says Louis. And I just wrote, It gets worse though. It's so early, it just gets worse the ick factor in this episode is high by the way just to warn you louis asks ronnie how young would you go in terms of age 16 and ronnie he kind of thinks about it he's kind of like no 14 and he says absolutely not no way because he knows he'd get arrested for that and they laugh the pair of them kind of laughed at this yeah a lot of what louis laughs at in this episode concerns me He goes back to questioning Anne about why she's there. She says she wants to meet nice English men because Thai men don't interest her. And Louis says, this is a mystery because English men aren't that great, which I can confirm being an Englishman. Ronnie says, well, in comparison to Thai men, we're saints. And that's all that matters is as long as you're not the shittest person. (laughs) just the second shittest yeah and this is never questioned and we can get into this a bit further on but louis says he'll take ronnie's word for it on that and he's never thought of himself as a valuable commodity ronnie says absolutely and he'd be surprised by how many women would want to meet him and then louis says and what if i said like i I, you know i want 10 i really hated that he didn't even say women here he just said what if i wanted 10 yeah he's already thinking about the women as objects commodities yeah Ronnie seems reluctant on that. He's even reluctant about letting people use the service twice, apparently, which is pretty rich coming from what we learn about Ronnie later on. After Anne has filled out her forms, she's going to get a video done, like the old kind of video dating services that you used to see on TV. So she sat by a desk with some flowers and a name on it, as well as the number 1114. Louis and Ronnie watch from another room as this clip is filmed. Louis comments, It's a bit like a hostage videotape in a funny way. Like she's confirming proof of life. Ronnie laughs and then says, it's not quite like that. Louis then asks Ronnie if he finds Thai women attractive as a race. Louis's words, not mine. This whole dialogue is so difficult. I didn't even want to like paraphrase it because it's just so bad. So he says, do you find Thai women attractive as a race? Ronnie says, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And they stay slim. Yes. Skin. Beautiful. Olive, tan and... Smooth as silk. Smooth as silk. Mm. Naturally hairless. I beg your pardon? The arms and... Um, very slight hair, I think. Yeah. Yes. It's like some sort of an exchange from some fucking 1970s Miss World competition. My notes just say, this is creepy chat. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. So quickly we're into this territory of how people speak about other human beings in this episode. And imagine just generalising so much. 
about such a large group of people on so many extents not just looks wise but in terms of personality is obscene it's just ridiculous the whole thing sets these women up as though they're on a lower level to everyone else they're like sort of talked about as though they're in a zoo or something like that but there is levels within levels alex because Anne's number we see is 1114 but the next video that comes up is just 79 we are told there's two lists. Maybe to his credit, the only time I'll say this, Ronnie says he's a bit embarrassed, but they run an A video and a B video. Ronnie considers the A's more attractive and B is available to anyone who walks in. He'll fucking throw that one out the window and try and get your attention with it. Then Louis jokes, Who's on the C video? There isn't one. There is definitely a C video, by the way. Oh, yeah. Tan is the next girl who's going to film her video. She says that she wants to find a Western man because they're friendly and kind. And Louis says that hearing that makes him feel good, but he's aware that it's possibly not true, which is kind of the first hint at, you know, what is the motivation behind these women specifically wanting to marry Western men rather than Thai men. Ronnie says that Louis has to remember that Thai men don't treat women nicely. And then Louis says, Right, Thai men are awful. You just got to get Thai men on <laughs> And then Ronnie doubles down. They might not be awful, but they don't treat them nice. And Louis says, well, it's cultural, it's ingrained, and it's not really, again, challenged. I think one of the things that's totally ignored in this documentary was the idea of dowry in Thailand. Families will want their daughters to marry in order that they can be paid for what is said to be a job well done in raising your daughter. So this is a cultural thing in Thailand and possibly one of the reasons why people from low economic backgrounds are putting their young daughters up for these marriage services. We know there's over a thousand women signed up to this one agency and that's just one agency. There is a blog on a website called ThaiEmbassy.com. I'm going to say this is probably not the Thai embassy because the wording on this is so weird. But it said, one important thing you should keep in mind when discussing Thai dowry is that its amount is based on your Thai fiancé status, education, occupation, and other related social background information, brackets, such as her virginity. An average middle-class university-educated Thai lady deserves a dowry of 100,000 to 300,000 baht. A dowry of a million baht from an uneducated lady of modest means is just ridiculous. That is interesting because at least a couple of these women have children and have already been married. So maybe the dowry thing isn't as much of a concern. A couple of the men also say they're not men of money. Yeah, but what counts as a man of money? The idea of meeting a Western man for the families might be economic security that they just can't offer. One thing that struck me, there's literally not a Thai man in this episode, apart from maybe a waiter who says three words or something no no Thai man gets to state his case of why actually I'm not that bad for a bit more perspective on Thailand's take which is kind of sorely missing sorry Louis I spoke to expert Professor Paul Statham my name is Paul Statham I'm director of the Sussex Centre for Migration Research it was probably about six or seven years ago I became interested in Thailand by chance and it became a bit of a hobby of mine but it ended up being an institutional relationship with researchers in Thailand and so it sort of ended up being a bit more than a hobby and so then ended up working with people in Thailand Thai researchers and doing research on Thailand so it's been quite a good way of opening up some of the issues that are happening in the global south. Obviously, this documentary that we're talking about was filmed 20 years ago. Is this or was this ever an accurate portrayal of what went on in Thailand? You know, there's probably a few issues with the style of the documentary because it kind of touches on issues but doesn't really give responsibility for them, which is perhaps his style. But is it an accurate portrayal of how things were 20 years ago? I think there's elements of truth in that and there's elements of truth in that today. I mean, one thing that isn't really touched on are the backgrounds of the women and the transformation of Thailand that produces this situation. It's also done in the typically voyeuristic way the dirty old Western man who goes over there and can get away with treating people in sometimes a semi-abusive way, you know, has some sort of accurate overtones to it. Some other people disagree. It's difficult because one size doesn't fit all. So some relationships actually work quite well and the men are quite sympathetic. If you go back to the earliest work by a guy called Eric Cohen on this, who studied letters, so it was all before social media or, or that kind of stuff. And there were professional ties writing letters for these 
these women to stimulate these kind of contacts on a sort of one-on-one basis. So it's always been a little bit of an industry. But I think what's important to bear in mind is that if you go to somewhere like Patia, you see all these really overweight Northern Europeans wearing football shirts who, you know, suddenly after being, quite often these people are misfits in their own societies and then they kind of go over there simply due to the lottery of having been born in a Western country and having your money go further, then they're open to these relationships. We've also done research on Thai women in the UK. You know, domestic violence is quite common. I may not recollect correctly from the Theroux programme, but one of the older men looking for a partner seemed to have significant mental issues. And the idea of bringing a young woman back who can't speak any language home with you as if it's like, you know, getting a dog or a toy or something like that. That kind of narrative isn't uncommon. There's a guy who wrote a book, a German, The Woman of Isan, where he romanticises his own way how he saved this woman and this kind of thing. You're reading the book and at one point you realise he actually put a chip in her so that he could locate her when she ran away from him. You know, there's a lot of kind of human rights issues and things like that because it's within the frame of marriage migration. The state doesn't get involved at all. So there's no kind of regulation. Neither the Thai state nor the Western state gets involved at all in the kind of humanitarian issues that are taking place in some of these relationships. But on the other hand, you know, there are some relationships that are caring ones where people who are misfits in both societies get together and it is beneficial to them both. And that can often be in cases where the exchange isn't the kind of carrying on camping or the titillating stuff that Louis Theroux is interested in. It can actually be care relationships and people establishing a relationship with a woman who's been divorced in middle age in Thailand, so has no prospects or financial prospects there, and then get a relationship where the relationship isn't based on sex or anything like that. It's, it's more based on provision of care and then living together and then having different kinds of ways forward like that. You've sort of studied women who have moved over to the UK. What are those experiences like? The stigma of the prostitute that follows for any Thai woman who comes to the UK gives you an idea of how difficult it is. Paradoxically, it's middle-class Thai women who find coming to the UK very difficult. A Thai woman coming to the UK will have none of her qualifications recognised whatsoever. If you go back 20 years, it's probably true to say that most of the women coming over were from peasant backgrounds. In the West, we tend to think of like water buffalo going around the field and that kind of thing, whereas international migration has been so great from people from villages in Thailand. Somebody did some research where they thought that 50% of the people had international passports because they'd worked abroad or they travelled around. So the Thai rural doesn't actually make any money anymore. It survives on remittances sent from workers who are going abroad, both men and women. So you have to kind of bear that side of things in mind. Middle class women, their qualifications aren't accepted and so they actually find life quite hard here to the extent that quite often they get remittances sent from people in Thailand to support them over here. Whereas the cliche is that obviously, oh, they earn money here and they send money back. The other side of that is that people from very, very poor backgrounds who can't get a foothold in Thai society because of class prejudice within Thai society, whereas you're always a peasant, and if you come from a certain kind of background and you're basically looking at factory work or less than factory work, they actually find the, if you like, the devil's bargain of coming over here and then making their own way. Quite often that can be stepwise movement from different relationships with men in the West I mean, Thai women, there are whole uh, websites where they communicate with each other about what's going on here. So they're not naive. They know what risks they're taking. But they also, those who survive are quite often women who come from very tough backgrounds. Their whole life has been made of taking much tougher decisions than probably the Western men. The Thai government also does programs in Isan trying to discourage women from taking this route. But one of our Thai researchers went to one of these and they spent the whole time saying how terrible it was and recounting bad stories and that. And then at the end of it, they said, so after hearing all this, how many of you want to go? Or you want to to Western husband? And they all put their hands up. Over there, there's also the aspiration. You have to understand that poor people have limited opportunities in life. And so therefore you aspire to things. Yeah, and also Thai men don't get much of a good write-up as well. So sometimes the Westerner can be seen as the saviour in that kind of sense. So is 
is that fair or, or what's the kind of general thought on that? Uh, well, yeah, again, one size doesn't fit all. But the women who we interviewed most started looking for Western men when they were perhaps in their early 30s or late 20s, usually after a disastrous traumatic event in their life. You know, one had been abused by the family of her husband. Another had experienced drug abuse. Quite a few have been in abusive relationships and are left with children. Also having cases of Western men thoroughly exploiting Thai women and not marrying them and leaving them with the children and that kind of thing. If you read about the Thai men, they drink a lot. They're noted for being violent. It can be quite a sort of macho type of culture. They're all depicted a little bit like mummy's boys in that the men can go away and do whatever they want individually. So have affairs, visit prostitutes. But, you know, obviously I'm not saying that everybody's like that. But yeah, you could make a case that Thai men don't come out of it very well. But then, you know, I'm not sure what a Thai man's perspective would be supposed to be when women from where they come from aspire to marry Westerners who are tourists or that kind of thing. We leave the offices and we go out to the streets of Bangkok and we're told by Louis' narration that Ronnie has 1,400 Thai women seeking a man, which means he's short on clients, which is odd considering we hear that hundreds of thousands of men are making this trip every year. So Louis is meant to be helping out with Ronnie's sales pitch, handing out flyers, but I don't actually see Louis do anything except look at Ronnie do things. Yeah, no, it did seem to be all Ronnie. He gets blanked by a few men who just seem to be sort of barreling on and don't want to take a leaflet, but a few of them do. But so awkward. One guy doesn't even look at him and just kind of slips it in his pocket. It makes it seedier than it even actually is. And then again, we get lots of shots of Asian women with white men in the street. So we're led to believe that this is a very common thing. And then I feel like they don't really hand out that many flyers. But then Louis and Ronnie are just walking in quite a quiet street and not talking to anyone else. And Louis asks Ronnie why he prefers Thai women to Western women. Ronnie says... Because they still believe in looking after the man and they're brought up to look after the man. And then Louis kind of pulls out some of the finer details of Ronnie's brochure, particularly a line that says, Thai ladies have qualities that have been lost by equality craze women's live Western women. Hello, that's me. (laughs) Nice to meet you. But Ronnie, on camera when he's questioned about this, kind of backs off. He says, I don't believe that at all, about women having to cook and clean all the time. He says, but my personal life has to fit around my business life because I work a lot. Louis pushes him and says, but you do think Western women are equality crazed? And Ronnie says, some of them. Louis kind of gives him the way out. He says, moving on. And they move on to a different subject. There is no kind of awkward silence where Louis just lets things sit and see what Ronnie says for himself. Which is very unlike Louis. Maybe that technique of just letting things sit for a minute hadn't quite developed at this point. He might also have had a little shock because I don't know if you noticed that he walks fully into a signpost. (laughs) Yeah, he's reading out the brochure and he hits a signpost. He doesn't even flinch or acknowledge it. It makes a serious clatter as well when he hits it. (laughs) But yeah, he continues to read from the brochure. The next line he picks out is, For Thai women, there is no such thing as I've got a headache. I'm sure everybody can understand what that's meant to mean. Ronnie says, A Thai lady is more likely to go with the flow. He's with the Thai woman himself, and she doesn't get headaches even when she's got a headache. Louis says, I slightly wish you hadn't said that, but doesn't really go into why. Yeah, and Ronnie says, It just means the Thai lady goes along with what the man is after. Nothing more sinister. And Louis then says, I didn't say anything was sinister. There seems to be a desperation to kind of placate Ronnie or not get on the wrong side of Ronnie, which is so weird for Louis. It is, but he does have some very creeped out body language and facial expressions. Never mind these streets, Alex. We've got a swanky hotel to go to because it's Ronnie's wife's birthday, we are told in the narration. Whether she has a headache or not, it's birthday time. (laughs) Apparently, Ronnie met his wife through another agency that matches couples two years before. So Louis goes to the hotel and meets Ronnie in the lobby. Ronnie's wearing a suit now, but still has his flat cap and cravat on. And Louis says that he feels underdressed in his very boring short-sleeved navy shirt. He could have tried a little bit harder, couldn't he? Yeah, but I think Ronnie's from a bygone era that possibly never existed. So Louis says, oh, where's your wife? And Ronnie kind of says some weird things like, my young lady will be joining us soon. 
And then he reveals that actually his wife, whose birthday Louis believed they were celebrating, and him are splitting up. And he's met another super young lady a few days ago. And they're going to get married in a few days. Ronnie says the breakup was amicable and he's very excited to be marrying this new lady. Louis' response is, how amazing, which is the, <laughs> the friends you need when you share completely catastrophic life news. Ronnie shares a little bit of their backstory, their epic love story. He happened to be in his office when this lady came in to enroll. He talked to her and fell in love on the spot, but it took her a little bit longer to reciprocate. About three hours. The young woman in question arrives. Her name is Mom. It's her 21st birthday. Ronnie is 55. Louis looks quite unimpressed. And there's all this uncomfortable chat where Ronnie's talking to this girl in the same tone as you would talk to like a toddler. They're sat around this table and it's Louis, Mom and Ronnie. And he is feeding her off his spoon and then says, is that divine? And then Louis jokes and asks Ronnie to feed him off the spoon next with his eyes closed and mouth open. And Ronnie actually does it. <laughs> I quite like that bit because Mam laughed, which I feel like maybe it was the only time she got to have a bit of a laugh. The dynamic between the two of them is so stilted because he talks loads and loads and then she doesn't talk at all. And you kind of get the feeling that there's a big language barrier. Yep. And an age barrier and all sorts of barriers why this shouldn't be a thing. We find out a little bit more about their relationship. Apparently, Mam didn't make a tape at the agency because Ronnie fell in love with her straight away and bagsied her, which you wonder how often this happens. He then tells Louis that it was her mother who brought her to the agency to sign her up. So conveniently, when he immediately fell in love with her, her mum was right there and they could ask her permission to be married. Louis asked what it was that took three hours. What was that conversation that kind of persuaded her? And the pair of them gig and he says it was private and then immediately talks about it yeah he says i don't know whether i even want to repeat this (laughs) (laughs) you have to you have to ronnie says (laughs) we were very naughty for about two and a half hours when we were in my office by ourselves so it's a man in a position of power making sexual advances on a 21 year old woman while her mother stands outside yeah louis looks like he might be sick in ronnie's soup that he was just seeing And then Louis also must have been on the same wavelength as you, Matt, because he asks, so you were getting hot and heavy while Mam's mother was standing outside the door? And Ronnie gets a bit indignant and says, no, we weren't getting hot and heavy. But then he says, oh, we were just being intimate and getting to know each other. Ronnie is a really big fan of this like coded specific language that he kind of hides behind. And he is hiding behind it. This is the thing. Ronnie says, we just decided to ask permission from the mother. But who really decided that? Clearly, Ronnie. Mam says very little in this whole exchange. She just kind of laughs when Ronnie laughs on cue. And then Ronnie says, That's a lovely smile, sweetheart. Don't ever lose your lovely smile. If a granddad said that to his granddaughter, it'd be quite sweet. Well, there might be a similar age gap between them. <laughs> After the meal, Louis and Ronnie have a side chat, very Love Island, about Mam. Louis says, quite young. And Ronnie says, yes. And then Louis, because he's very tactile, touches him on the shoulder, says, I don't mean that as a criticism. Why not, Louis? <laughs> he seems determined to forgive Ronnie all his sins. What does Louis see in Ronnie that he aspires to be? I don't know. Ronnie defends himself by saying she's quite mature for her age. Based on what exactly, I don't know. Louis finally gets some cojones and he says he's new to this situation. He's just off the plane. He doesn't really know what's going on. Again, he's putting a lot of caveats in this before he says what he needs to say. But he says, I'm going like, that's really nice. And then at the same time, I'm thinking like, does she know what she's getting into? And Ronnie replies in classic speaking for man style. Yes, she's thought about it and she wants to be with me. Louis' choice of words here is so interesting. He says, and you've racked your conscience and you've had doubts. And Ronnie says, oh, no, no, no. I've not had any doubts whatsoever. He wasn't even asking a question there. He was just like, of course you've had doubts about marrying this very young woman. Plying him the line like he's his lawyer. Of course my (laughs) client has had doubts about this. There's then a fun bit where Louis asks about Ronnie's previous marriages and Ronnie says he can't remember how many wives he's had. He would have to count, but he thinks this would be number four. And Louis says in the voiceover that this is Ronnie's third Thai wife, but 
fourth wife overall. Yeah, the voiceover kicks in and we see Ronnie and Mam dancing together to the Bee Gees. How deep is your love? And that is the question. How deep is their love here? Nearly as deep as the large glass of red that Louis is knocking back as he watches them dance. This is possibly my favourite shot of the whole thing because Ronnie and Mam dance in the dark. There is a spotlight on Louis as he sits alone <laughs> drinking his red wine, watching them from a distance. He wonders in the voiceover, what would motivate Mam to marry Ronnie? Is Louis critical enough here? Does he go in enough on Ronnie and what Ronnie's doing? I don't think so. I think he nearly gets there. And I wonder if part of it is because it's such a public place. But it's not really a good reason for Louis not to push harder. Because he's obviously thinking all of the things that we are. But I think he's almost kind of trying to be liberal about the fact that Ronnie can marry who he wants. But he's completely ignoring the power dynamic between a rich 55-year-old English business owner and a young 21-year-old Thai woman who barely speaks English. And the fact that it's only from Ronnie's point of view because we can't really hear from Mam. Who has also been signed up for the service by her mother. She's been put there by her parents. Is this really what she wants? Exactly. The next morning, as if he's not had enough of Ronnie already, Louis and his probable red wine hangover go to sign up at Ronnie's agency. He says he wants to better understand it. So they sit together and they fill out the form. Louis's age, 30. Welcome to the 30 Club, Louis. Annual income. Louis says, can I put a million pounds? Hey, that BBC budget was too high if that's what he was getting paid. He's on the gravy train at this point. I think he's testing how much vetting Ronnie actually does in this process of the men that he's putting forward. Ronnie says, well, we can if that's true and then Louis says that looks bad for you if you accept that unquestionably Ronnie's negotiation is safe we'll just put sufficient then Louis again to prove a point says what about past legal issues and lawsuits should these be declared and Ronnie says well if you think we should know about something we'd appreciate it if you told us like for example you've killed your three past Thai wives and then Louis makes what I'm assuming is a joke where he says oh well there was that one thing but it didn't go to trial so it's fine. Maybe he's talking about when he was caught smoking grass by his dad. He did say his dad came down pretty hard on him. Maybe a night in the slammer was in order. But this works quite well, I think, because it really does highlight that there's no vetting process. These men, especially because they're coming from a different country, they could be from anywhere. They could have done anything. And yeah, they could have you know, hurt someone, killed someone even, and been released from prison. They could be sex offenders and they just wouldn't know. Absolutely. But we're fine with it. So (laughs) Ronnie goes on to show Louis a book of available women. A big red folder. It looks like the This Is Your Life book from the show This Is Your Life. One of the women specifically wants someone younger than Ronnie and Louis says, oh, so you did have a crack at her then? And Ronnie says, well, I wouldn't put it that way. But again, we're getting the feeling that pretty much every woman who walks through that door, Ronnie sizes her up first. A tape, B tape, Ronnie tape. That's how it works, I think. Louis is kind of scrolling through this pre-internet Tinder that is the big red folder and it's got their name, their age, their height, weight, their education level, what languages they speak, English level where they get a rating, occupation, marital status, number of children and hobbies. Hobbies is the closest we get to any sort of personality and these seem quite vague. Louis recognises Kukai who was the staff member from before, she's also on the books and Louis says, oh can I look at some of the B-list ladies? Like just to be nice is what he actually says. And then there's one woman who Louis points out and says, why is she on the B list? She seems nice. I hated this bit so much. I actually had to pause after this and just like collect my thoughts for a minute. So Ronnie says, oh, she's 59 kilos. That's nine kilo too much. So 59 kilo is 130 pounds, which is nine stone, four pounds, if that's how you work. So I would be on the C list probably from this measure. But that, I hated that so much (laughs) yeah but if you look at what else is on that piece of paper about her she's in her 40s she's previously divorced and again this is all about the standards are young single and available and fitting all these ridiculous standards that just are 
impossible to live up to. Louis doesn't really say anything to defend anyone after that, but he does say... So the the bees are in a kind of a purgatory. Quite poetic. There is a sense here that Ronnie is just kind of taking their money. How often does he match up these bees with people, or is he just saying, yeah, you're on the books, but you are, as we see on the folder, listed under B list. I wonder how much they paid him as well. That doesn't come up. Yeah, exactly. Presumably he's not doing it out of the goodness of his own heart. So Louis gets down to business, he's got his videotapes, and we hear the clunk clink of a VHS going into the player, which is a very nostalgic sound. Louis is doing his research, and they play a very nice Light My Fire instrumental. As Louis makes notes, he pensively rests the remote control on his top lip, as if he's thinking very intently about someone. Then we see the videotapes, and all the women kind of give a spin after they've spoken, and then he goes back to Ronnie to share his selection. Ronnie says, all right, well, we'll get in touch with them, and we'll be in touch. I have to say I felt quite relieved to be getting rid of Ronnie for a bit. Thank God we're in some kind of transport and we're moving away from Ronnie. So Louis in a like an auto rickshaw, very like reclined. I don't know if it's because he's so tall, he doesn't really fit in it. Big long boy Louis in the back. And he's going to go to another marriage agency in Bangkok called Thai Professional Introduction Services. He is going to meet with a client of theirs or a new client of theirs called Lake Palmer, which sounds like a very exotic name to me, but he's actually from Great Yarmouth, which is on the sort of southeast side of the UK, if you're not familiar. And Lake, what can we say? about Lake. He opens the door. I wrote, man in his early 60s. He's not. He's actually 56 at this point in his life. He doesn't look that good for 56. He's a well-worn 56, bless him. He's in a full shirt and tie, trousers, dressed very much like that kind of old boy style of always in a shirt and tie. He has very large glasses and I may be slightly affected by the fact I've watched a lot of God Snooker, the recent Louis III documentary, but he looks like he could be a snooker player. Oh, absolutely. Louis says, look at you. You're looking very good as they kind of pan the camera from the bottom up. Louis asks Lake, why are you looking for a Thai woman specifically? And Lake says, he's 56, very much alone, (laughs) which is quite sad. Crushing. And he thinks life is passing him by. I think it becomes very apparent early on that Lake is an intense guy. He just kind of launches into heart and soul chat with anyone. He goes on to say that he wants to find someone to love and take care of. He can offer them a home, a different environment, love and affection. Which is really different to what Ronnie kind of says, which is Ronnie wants someone who will fit into his business lifestyle. And stay slim. Stay under 50 (laughs) kilos or whatever it is that is Ronnie's dream number. So Lake is going to go on some dates. He's already had that set up and he says he's apprehensive. He describes himself as being shaky, shaky when talking to Louis. Initially, he implies that he's very nervous and he says, oh, I suffer with my nerves. And you think that must mean he's very shy and he clams up. But then that quickly develops to him explaining that he'll destroy someone verbally if he gets too worked up, which is a direct quote. Um, Massive red flag, just going to (laughs) say. And like you said, he says this like he's some sort of battle rapper or a slam poetry contender. I I, I destroy him verbally. I don't use force. I don't fight or anything. Yeah. Don't mess with me. And then Louis kind of tries to reassure him by saying, well, Thai people are really quiet and shy, so you'll be fine. Everything in this episode is geared towards calming Lake down from then on. But he's got these list of questions. Lay wants them to ask a few questions about him as well and get to know them a bit better, which is at least something genuine. He wants to at least make some sort of connection, which is far better than what we've seen so far. So he's got his list of questions. What are you looking for in a husband? Why do you want a Western gentleman? Why do you not want a Thai husband? How quickly would you be able to come to the UK? Louis says, these are good questions. These are questions I've been asking myself. And then he's got some statements, like, I guess, little prompts to remind him what he would tell the women. We learn that he's a retired salesman. He has a car, brackets paid for. He has no money worries. And then the bit that he gets Lake to read out is that he would love and cherish you. You would be my number one wife, number two friend, number three soulmate. That's quite sweet. But a lot of pressure. (laughs) Yeah. That's his first date chat. So Louis, for some reason, then produces a photo of Lake that he's found somewhere of Lake singing in front of a band. And he says, oh, you're a musician. And Lake says, no, no, not professionally, but I like to sing and I like to sing karaoke. Louis says, what are you singing in this photo? And he says, are you lonesome tonight? And then he says, I'm always lonesome. (laughs) Of course, it's Louis. 
So as soon as somebody mentions singing, he has to get involved. So he and Lake have a very nice moment where they sing Are You Lonesome Tonight together in the hotel room, standing awkwardly close to each other. They sing it in slightly Mr. Beany tones as well. Is your heart filled with pain? Shall I come back again? Shall we die? Are you lonesome tonight? We move on from Lake's hotel room and we're going to go to the offices of Thai Professional Introduction Services run by a guy called Lawrence Lynch. How would you describe Lawrence? So Lawrence is extremely fair. He's got blondish white hair, milk bottle skin, but he's teamed this up with a red suit and a really bombastic red tie as well. I've said that he looks like a Harry Enfield character who runs a Butlins. I went for he looks more like a travel agent or a supermarket manager than he does a sleazy ronnie sort of type of course it's another white middle-aged englishman that runs this agency that just seems to be par for the course here so lake and louis and lawrence normally in my notes i abbreviate to just the first letter of the name it was impossible because everybody had the same letter the three of them sit down and talk and lawrence is explaining etiquette i guess this is thailand etiquette but might also be the agency has its own rules about the dates that they send people on so he's explaining to lake that it's not appropriate to kiss or hug a Thai lady unless you've known her for a while. It might be okay to hold hands but you have to ask her if that's okay first. The word consent is used at this point. I was about to say the very first time the word consent is used in the episode. Lauren says that Thai people don't like public displays of affection. Instantly this is a worry. Louis knows that Lake is a very tactile person. Louis knows this because he is also a very tactile person and Lake says I do like touching people but when in Rome do as the Romans do. He's willing, he says, to follow the cultural guidelines. And Louis says, can you hold back? Looks extremely doubtful. Which makes me wonder, what happened in that hotel room? (laughs) During Are You Lonesome Tonight, what happened? Then follows a very long discussion about nose picking and whether or not that is appropriate in Thailand. Mostly driven by a gleeful Louis, who's like a small child. And then Louis asks about running fingers through hair, which he thinks is something that maybe Lake is keen to do. Lawrence says this is not appropriate. Don't do that. Louis says he'll be watching Lake from a distance, but should he intervene if Lake gets touchy? And they both laugh at this. It just is very confusing. What a great service that would be, though. You go on a blind date and Louis Theroux will come and just watch from the sidelines and intervene if he feels it's inappropriate. I had to look out as to what else is unacceptable in Thailand. These are not my points. If these are terribly wrong, then I apologise. But don't point your feet. Point my feet at what? At someone. Don't touch someone's head. So that goes into the point about touching hair. Don't point. You lift your chin in the direction over there. (laughs) Just a note for the people who can't see. Alex looked very much like Bruce Forsyth there for a minute. Here's the important one. Don't lose your cool. Shouting, blowing your top or displaying strong emotions is generally frowned upon in Thailand. Oh, fuck. I'm worried for Lake. Don't disrespect the king. Elvis Presley. (laughs) We've already sung Are You Lonesome Tonight, so... He was disrespected. And don't throw things. Never throw anything. Now watch Lake break all of those rules. In one single motion. Louis is concerned and he again brings up the possibility of Lake getting agitated. And Lauren says... You will, I'm sure, when you meet your date, that you will find that she makes you... She's so feminine, she's so so graceful, so calm. She'll She'll be a calming... She will calm me right Mm. now. Again, a lot of pressure on a woman. Once this conversation's over, it's clearly like the end of what they were meant to be filming and they're kind of tidying up the area and picking up all the... Lake <laughs> Yeah, we need to move all this shit out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if that was an omen, it's not going to go well. It's time for a side chat with Lawrence about Lake. At this point, I would watch a travel show of these three just travelling around <laughs> together. As much as I'm not a Lawrence fan, Louis and Lawrence's like duo is quite funny. It's really funny. Lawrence kind of takes on this role of psychiatrist, which he obviously has no training for whatsoever. And he says about Lake, he's been through a lot in his life. He's had post-traumatic stress syndrome, which he takes medication for, and it gives him mood swings. But he's a lovely man. And Louis asks an important question here. He says, will you let the women know this about Lake? And he says, we tell them everything. Which feels a bit more ethical than Ronnie, who would maybe probably skirt over this and put it in hobbies or something like that. Hobbies, (laughs) post-traumatic stress disorder. 
this is kind of Louis's question that he's asking everyone this episode. He asks Lawrence, why are Thai women so much more attractive to Western men? And Lake's also here in the background, so kind of chips in. And again, it's one of these, everyone's just chucking stuff into the basket. Lawrence says, they're extremely beautiful, very petite. Lake says, femininity, they're so regal. And then Lake says, English women want to be men. Louis says, oh, I think Western women would be quite shocked to hear you saying these things. And Lake and Lawrence kind of say, oh, well, they should be shocked. And Lawrence, this is when I decided that I hated Lawrence, says, I think the pendulum has maybe swung a little bit for, uh, too far from, from the 1950s on mm. the traditional wife to, to the situation now where perhaps um, you know when the lady's started? wearing the trousers a little bit, but still wants to be treated as a lady. Cancel that travel show, actually. I don't want to watch it anymore. And then Louis asks the key question here. He says, uh, Lake, have you had some bad experiences with women before? Is this why you're now bitter and resentful? And he has. He has had bad experiences before. He says it's very hard to trust now. We don't know Lawrence's backstory, but these men seem spurned by modern society and seeking something potentially easier for them or imagined that this is easier. It's all very strange. And also to put this trait on a whole nation of women who's just bizarre and flawed. People are complicated. No no one lives up to any stereotype in all it's full like that's not going to happen so it's an illusion this idea that they're really selling to them so Lake's about to go on his date and Louis sort of says, how are you feeling? Because Louis doing that thing that he does where he's like, are you agitated? Are you agitated yet? How's your agitation? Is it okay? And Lake says, actually, Louis calmed him down, which Louis seems surprised to hear. But then Lake says, but Lawrence has wound me up. <laughs> yeah, he goes on a slight bitching notion about Lawrence, which is really funny because Louis kind of bitching about <laughs> Lake with Lawrence and then goes to Lake to have a little bitch about Lake instead. Yeah, these three are like the original mean girls. <laughs> he gets annoyed by Lawrence, he says, and the way he goes on. And so then they're having a discussion about how it will work with the interpreter and Lake loses his temper at Lawrence again. The agitation is flaring up, but Louis is just giggling behind him. I think Louis is kind of trying to diffuse things, but he sort of wants them to keep arguing. <laughs> and then Lake's first date is brought in. She's a lady called Sai, and they're joined by an interpreter. Through the interpreter, they have a conversation. Even though Lake is talking to the interpreter in very broken English, which I feel like isn't the point of an interpreter, <laughs> he finds out that Sai has a five-year-old son and she just wants a happy family. Lake reveals that he's been married twice and cheated on and he doesn't want it to happen again. So that's his backstory. Lake reveals his scars in this kind of pidgin English where he says, broken heart, ladies go off with other men. When cats away, mice will play. That's going to be confusing to an interpreter, right? Absolutely. Using metaphors is confusing as fuck for anyone. Lake feels this connection because they're bonded by the fact that they've both been hurt, which should never really be a reason to get into a relationship. But at least feels partly real. It's not just based on appearance. It's something at least. So I'm starting to kind of go, well, maybe Lake's a good guy. And then his next question is, is she a good cook? And apparently she used to work in a restaurant, so... Cut to Louis and Lawrence at this point, And Louis gives him a little thumbs up to say, good job, excellent work. And then Lake kind of gears up to do his I will love and cherish you speech. And for some reason, Lawrence decides that this is the point where he should interrupt. And he brings over a bit of paperwork or something. Lake gets thrown off and gets very angry at Lawrence. And then we see this amazing wide shot of... Lake and Sai and the interpreter sitting on couches and then on the other side of the room Louis and Lawrence are standing with their backs to the wall looking like naughty schoolboys and they're both giggling and looking at each other and trying not to laugh. It's incredible and then Lake is laying out to the interpreter what he has to offer and there is a map of the UK behind his head so he kind of points to where his terrace house is in Yarmouth. It's rented but it's permanent. I'll live there till I die. Very uplifting. Good first date chat. He says that he wants to fill the house with a family. He's got enough bedrooms that Sai's son could come and live with them. And then he gets very poetic again and says, I feel like a flower without any water. It withers and dies. He just wants love to bring him back to life. I know. But he wants like miracle grow. He wants something instant. And he's asking the interpreter. Again, none of this conversation is addressed actually to Sai. It's all to the interpreter. He barely looks at Sai. He sits far too close to her though. <laughs> yeah, without ever exchanging eye contact. Lake asks Sai if Sai likes him. And it's just the immediacy of the whole thing. He's just gone straight in and he's desperate to know. Lake wants to know if Sai wants to hold his hand because Lawrence set out the rules that he 
promise to follow, but he really needs to know straight away, will she hold his hand in public? She says no, <laughs> which he's sort of pretending that he's fine with, but I think he's pretty gutted about that. The sort of intros are done, so they're going to go out and go on an actual date in public. They go to a restaurant yeah. called <laughs> Cabbages and Condoms. Okay, so I was in the exact same boat. I saw this name above the door and thought, what on earth are you doing, Lake? But to the defence of Cabbages and Condoms, this is an actual Thai restaurant which operates as a business for social progress and all profits support the Population and Community Development Association and it provides programmes in health, education, HIV, AIDS, rural development, environment and water. They also have a sister restaurant in Bista in the UK and one review said it had a brilliant selection of vegetarian options. So shout out to Cabbages and Condoms for having the weirdest name but actually being a very decent social enterprise. Would probably put off quite a few people who aren't fans of cabbages <laughs> but condom fans will feature up a bit exactly on the way to the restaurant louis says in the voiceover that things seem to be going well but he's worried that lake is moving too fast and a close-up reveals that lake and Sai are holding hands as they walk up to the restaurant they go into this restaurant and lake whips out a napkin and puts it on Sai's lap which is meant to be some sort of gentlemanly gesture, but it comes across quite controlling. There is a couple behind them who are literally in t-shirt and shorts, but Lake is in a full dinner jacket and tie. He looks like he's dressed for a big sales conference. And Louis is not sitting with them. He's kind of lurking nearby and he's speaking to a woman who seems to be a female friend of size who's come to the restaurant just to make sure that everything is okay. That's a bit sinister as well in itself, isn't it? That you feel like you have to take someone with you. Yeah, but is that a real reality of these services? Yeah, you almost feel like the agency has a responsibility to make sure that things are okay but anyway lake is continuing his quite over the top chat talking at Sai. there's no interpreter sitting with them so presumably she can't understand him he's saying things like we'll solve all problems together i'll look after you i'll love you he's just relentless Louis has been barely on camera and has been off screen for about five minutes now because this guy is documentary gold. You can't write a character like Lake Palmer. We kind of occasionally cut to Louis, but he's so separate to what is actually going on. You don't really need him in these scenes at all. Sai is kind of nodding along to everything that Lake's saying, but as Louis confirms with her friend, she doesn't speak much English, so she really has no idea what all these things are that she's agreeing to. <laughs> Luckily, that seems to be the worst of it, and they eat, and that's it. And they say goodbye outside, and there's just this horrible body language here where Lake's leaning in really, really far, and Sai, she's not flinching away, but her body language is very close, like her shoulders are hunched, and she doesn't look comfortable at all, and he's just sort of forcing himself on her. Yeah, it's a really awkward goodbye and then Louis is going upstairs with Lake and he kind of tells him off for touching her. Lake says, oh, they don't mind. They know it's not sexual. Louis insists that they do mind. <laughs> so they go back to the dating agency for a sort of immediate debrief. Lake tells Lawrence that it went well and he thinks Sai was at ease, which again, body language would suggest otherwise. Louis asks Lake if he thinks Sai could be the one. I don't know if Louis should have been encouraging that kind of chat. And Lake says... She could be, but he needs to see the other ladies because it would be rude after committing. As much as we think that Lake seems more honourable, he'd quite like to see what else is on offer. Louis checks in again on his agitation levels. They mention the touching. He's clearly not getting this lesson. And then again, it's back to another side chat with Lawrence. A powwow with Lawrence to see how things are going. Louis is concerned about how quickly Lake is moving. Lawrence, at least he kind of speaks about side with a level of respect. He says she was very outgoing, a lovely lady. And he does the same thing to Lake as well he says he's a really nice guy but he's obviously had these issues but they get to the point of how will they deal with Sai not being interested if she's not interested Lawrence says the best thing to do here is we'll tell him the truth the pill will be sugared by meeting other ladies is his reasoning Louis then gives Lawrence a barrage of compliments and refers to him as Lawrence Dreamweaver Lynch Lawrence says we do our humble best you know he doesn't get carried away <laughs> And then they share this big manly handshake, which is just really unlike either person. And then we say goodbye to Lake. It's been emotional. And our travel show idea ends. So the next day, Louis at least has a more interesting shirt on. Probably the most interesting shirt of the episode, but it's very 80s and kind of reminds me of some bed sheets. He catches the train back to Ronnie's agency. Great. <laughs> 
apparently some of the women who he picked out are interested in meeting him but louis says that he doesn't think he'll use any of lake's dating techniques what not saying i love you and i have emotional problems in the first two minutes ronnie apparently is kind of like steve jobs where he only wears the pink shirt sweater vest combo because he's back in that again hopefully he has more than one version of it yeah he needs to wash that flat cap occasionally because the climate out there be very sweaty underneath Louis asks what they know about him. Ronnie says they know your age, your height profession, and that we think you're a nice guy. So you have had to lie a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Then they're talking about when the dates are going to happen. Louis asks about backing out. He loses his nerve. Just like at the demolition derby. This is his emotional demolition derby. But he's told this would be impolite as he's already there. And I don't know whether this was a genuine request or is he just trying to play with the boundaries of what's acceptable to Ronnie. If he backs out, he doesn't have this whole interaction, which is a really key scene in the whole documentary. So he sits down with the first woman who's called Max and then Ronnie says, I'll get a chair (laughs) and comes and sits in. He can't imagine anything worse than Ronnie sitting in on your date. He tells Louis to relax and Louis insists that he is relaxed. He is not relaxed. I've never seen him so lost for words and a little bit nervous. But Max and Louis, they share a little joke about how they have the same haircut, which is quite nice. Max lays out what she wants. She wants her husband to be kind, gentle, good looking, good money, good job. It's a fair list. Louis asks if she has any questions and she says, do you have a girlfriend? And at this point, young Louis is in love with a lady in London ethical question so he does admit he says yes i do have a girlfriend in london and she's being filmed so she knows it's for tv but should he have done this because these women then got brought in potentially thinking they might get a date i think the point is they all clearly know he has a girlfriend maybe he said i'll do it but i'm gonna do it that i'm investigating how this works instead of doing it to find love so no one gets led along unfairly so i think ethically that's okay it reminded me of you seen that clip of blind date where Scylla outs the journalist she's a journalist Ladies and gentlemen. That is Ronnie in this situation. Max is clearly enjoying this because she's getting quite flirty now and she says, you are quite good looking and then kind of says, oh, as if I shouldn't have said that. And then Louis just looks at Ronnie nervously like he's looking at his dad. I've never seen him this out of his comfort zone. I think he kind of likes it, but he's also like, God, my girlfriend's going to watch this back. <laughs> so Max says goodbye. We say goodbye to the future Mrs. Theroux, number one. And Louis says that Max is a strong woman and that's not what Ronnie has been telling him about Thai women because it's a complete sham, this idea that a whole nation of women all think one way or act one way. Ronnie says she's been exposed to the Western world much more than others because she's a tour guide. I'm not buying that. That's not enough. He said she's not typical of Thai women or of his agency. So why is she on the books then? Exactly. The next date. This is Kukai. Her ideal husband is 40 plus and Louis 30, so he's too young. He's immediately written off. And then date number three. Again, I think this might be Anne from that first scene. She says she wants to marry a Western man because she thinks they're kind and she hopes that they're romantic. And she dreams of living in England because someone told her it was beautiful. They lay out the logistics of what it would be like to be Mrs. Louis Theroux. He says, I travel quite a lot because I make television programs. She says, I like to travel. Louis, I'm afraid you can't always come with me on my trips abroad and then they have this weird exchange where louis says do you want children and she just calmly says yeah maybe one or two it's just these really like important big questions but it feels so cold and very removed and then louis says to her you're a very beautiful young woman i feel like he's been spending too much time with ronnie like that's such a creepy weird thing to say unprompted yeah give him the flat cap and then that's it she's kind of dismissed Louis asks Ronnie if the women sometimes reject the men and Ronnie says yes that does happen and don't take offence. Ronnie then goes out to sit down with the three women I've written like it's blind date. He's a journalist ladies and gentlemen. And then one of the women is asked about going out with Louis. It's Kukai and she whispers he has a girlfriend. Scandal. But if he were a genuine client apparently all three would fancy a bit of Louis. I think he really should have committed and just married one of them see what happened. Louis then poses to Ronnie privately that Thai women seem to be looking for security with Western men. He's implying financial security. He doesn't actually say it out loud. And Ronnie knows what he's on about and argues, no, it's more about emotional security. And then Louis says, well, I'm in a relationship with a Western woman. We've been going out for quite a long time. And says something like, you know, between you and me, Ronnie, the divorce average is two and both of them are yours. I think at this point, he's trying to get to the fact that these relationships may be firm, but how sustainable are they? Are they real? And if they're not built on anything real, how long do they actually last? Which is a really good point. So it's a goodbye to Ronnie at this point. And Louis says in the voiceover that he quite liked Ronnie. Yeah, question is, do we? 
No, we do not, I don't think. I really question Louis' judgment on this. I really question Louis' judgment on this. I think Ronnie is a really sinister guy. And, and actually, that exchange with him and his soon-to-be wife was uncomfortable watching. She has no economic security. He has everything. He has all the power in that relationship. It's just wrong. It feels very sinister. So, Ronnie. I want to know what happened to Ronnie. Wouldn't we all like to know what happens to Ronnie? He is a very difficult man to find anything on past this episode. There is a Ronnie Conrad Appreciation Society Facebook page, 428 likes. And I have to say thank you to those guys for pointing me in the direction of any information about Ronnie at all. One was this book by a guy called Mr. Jeff Sparks called Tales and Travels of a Teacher in Thailand. And there is a small quote which says, Another incident I remember well featured a small man wearing a baseball cat and a cravat who appeared one day in the staff room. Someone introduced him. This is John Jacobs from the UK. Only it wasn't John Jacobs, or at least he wasn't when he featured on Louis Theroux's documentary about UK men looking for a wife in Bangkok. Then he was Ronnie Conrad, etc, etc. He'd switched caps by this time, but he still had the cravat. He claimed the cap was necessary to prevent his bold patch from being affected by the motion of the fans. I knew it. Yeah, obviously. And then Jeff Sparks says he was still creepy, concentrating his lessons on the girls only and flattering them profusely in turn with his sugary platitudes. Oh, you are a clever girl. Oh, yes, you will go far. After the lesson, he spent at least half an hour in the staff room sidling up to someone else in there standing too close he was lucky she didn't give him a mouthful of her choicest new york phrases needless to say he didn't get the job so he changed his name so he changes his name oh god that's not good kukai last sighted again i found this through this appreciation society facebook page which kind of tracks the actions of people in this episode perth bikey luke cook and wife sentenced to death over failed thai drug smuggling attempt oh my god Kukai ends up going out with a man from Perth and then gets caught trying to smuggle half a ton of crystal methamphetamine into Australia via Thailand. They are both sentenced to death and are currently serving life sentences, essentially, in Thailand. Oh, my God. Kukai, no, you should have married Louis. But never mind that. (laughs) We've got a call from Lawrence. Shit's gone down and Louis needs to get himself over to Thai professional. Introduction services this instant. So obviously, Sai and Lake were soulmates and they were going to be together forever and he was going to love and cherish her, but it didn't really work out. So he went on two more dates after that. Lawrence is getting Louis up to speed. Then two days ago, two days prior to this meeting, Lake met a woman. That morning, they got married. (laughs) And Louis does his face of almost cartoon shock. Lake proposed on their first date, which, as we know, is classic Lake. What a guy. Louis is alarmed by the speed of all of this. And Lawrence, whose fault this whole thing is, is just like, he's a new man. I wouldn't encourage anyone to rush into marriage, but you should see them. Louis, one of his first questions is, does she know about his agitation? (laughs) (laughs) This is new Lake. No longer is he agitated. He's uh, 100% ready to spend the rest of his life with this woman. So we go to meet them, the happy couple, same hotel room, and we meet Lake and his new wife who's called Jad. Lake answers the door and says, it's been like a fairy tale. They're both still dressed in their wedding clothes because they literally just got married like two minutes ago. There is a do not disturb sign on the door, which Louis ignores. Louis asks them, is it too quick? And Lake replies, when you see a bargain, do you let it get away? (laughs) A bargain, that's what she is. She's like in the middle aisle at Aldi when there's loads of well-priced ski wear. Or like when people got really obsessed with those little trainers that were on sale for a really short amount of time. The Kevin the Carrot soft toys. That's what Jad is. He is pointing at Jad and just saying, bargain, bargain at this point. Apparently Lawrence lost his shit, according to Lake. And he apparently said this must be the shortest period of time in his entire history. But he will still take his money. Absolutely, of course. Lake says they've got chemistry. This is a meeting of minds. And Louis then speaks to Lake's new wife. Her English comprehension seems to be reasonably good compared to some of the other people that we've spoken to. I don't know how old she is, but she's a little bit older than a lot of the women that we've seen. I'd maybe put her in her 40s? Yeah, I would say so. And she sort of says she wants a friend and she wants for them to take care of each other because they were both alone. So it seems like they're both on the same wavelength here. Whether or not she's expressed her undying love forever and ever, if destroyed, still true, remains to be seen. She says she doesn't want his money. He said he wasn't a rich man. She has her own car. She has her own house. She knows about his medication. She makes that very clear. While they're having the discussion, suddenly Lake returns (laughs) with a big fucking candle. He looks like he's at a Kristingle sermon at church. And he says, Amazing. 
the flame of our love never die. I love you. I need you. I want you. Okay. And he tells his new wife that they are now one person. <laughs> Maybe the worst bit is that after this he says, I love you to her. <laughs> and she replies, I understand. Oh, God. And then a meme was born. <laughs> a meme was born. I can't believe it was Lake that caused this. Because Louis says, and play the clip. I wasn't quite sure what I'd just seen, but I knew it was time for me to leave. Of all the weird shit Louis sees, it's Lake with a big candle that finally gets this out of him. Honestly, I agree. This is probably one of the weirdest bits. Like, I got married after 10 years of being with someone, and even if he had come in after we'd got married with a big candle and done that, I would have been like, mm, nah. Louis leaves feeling confused. He says that he understands that on the face of it, these guys who come over to marry a Thai woman are getting something amazing, but he wonders how long the happiness can last and specifically how long Lake's happiness can last. In theory, eventually Lake takes Jad home to Great Yarmouth, pretty different place to Bangkok, and you just kind of wonder, like, how's that going to go down? Well, do we want to talk about this now or do we want to talk about the end credits first? Let's talk about the end credits. Well, firstly, I'm very impressed that Louis says goodbye to Lake's wife in Thai. I know, that was really sweet. Possibly the first attempt at language I've seen by any white western man in this episode so props to Louis for that and the closing credits show a shot of Ronnie's marriage and we are told that his marriage to Mam lasted just eight days and they separated presumably because someone else will have come through the door of the dating agency and he'll just have fallen in love with her or she might have not been happy about some things in his phrase book we're told that Lake returned to Great Yarmouth without Jad and she has applied for a visa to live in the UK. But they both say that they are very much in love. Okay, here we go. Again, I have to thank various other sources other than me for finding some of this information. There's a guy called Andrew McGregor Marshall, who used to work as a Reuters journalist out in Thailand. He did a blog about this episode in particular, and he found that Lake appeared on Trisha in 2002. Oh my God, Trisha. <laughs> where he's talking about the fact that he was left bankrupt and depressed by Jad. <gasps> No, Jad duped him. So that's 2002. Cut to 2004. There is a feature in a British newspaper called Real Life Victims of Marriage Scam. Thai Brides Left Us Broke. One of the people they speak to is Lake. He'd married Panom Yison, who is known as Jad, in a Buddhist ceremony in Thailand four years ago. He was convinced he had found a woman who could love and care for him for the rest of his life. When he returned home, he bombarded her with gifts, money and love letters. But eight months later, after failing to get a visa, she dumped him for someone else. Oh no. Luckily for him, Lake had forgotten his decree absolute and couldn't get the paperwork together for a legally binding ceremony. So there was no actual legal marriage. She was refused a visa and it turned out she was still legally married to another Englishman. Lake continued to correspond and send her money until April 2001, where she told him she'd met a Belgian man and didn't want to know him anymore. He said, I cried for six weeks and lost all my confidence. I only have my army pension to live on. I think that's why she didn't want me. Oh, Lake. So Alex, the question is, after this very confusing episode and all the big candles, is this good Louis or bad Louis? It's a complicated one because I really didn't like this episode. Like it made my skin crawl, but I think it was good Louis. I don't think it trivialises the topic. Like I don't think there's too much humour in an inappropriate way, but I think he could have asked better questions or been more to the point. The characters in it really carry it. Ronnie was pretty horrible and maybe so were Lake and Lawrence but it's watchable maybe sometimes behind your hands. What did you think? I think this is good Louis and I think there are some missteps in terms of his weird bond with Ronnie but in terms of just the documentary and the subjects and Lake it's so fascinating to watch their dynamic. It does seem unfair that it's Kukai that got sentenced to life in prison at the end of this though doesn't it? Yeah but anyway it's time to finish this episode in the only way we know how. I know your eyes in the morning sun. I feel you touch me in the pouring rain. And the moment that you wander far. Oh, I don't know the rest of the words. Living in a world of fools breaking us down when they all should let us be. They belong to you and me. Light and light and Deep is your love. How deep is your love? How deep is your love?
Thanks for listening. How deep? Our love for you is as deep as a really big candle. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at allthroughpod and check out the incredible original artwork for this episode by Tara Dunn.